Welcome to episode 134 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston. Welcome back to another episode. Welcome back, Todd. We're glad to have you on again this week. Good to be back. Okay. And um, (laughs) (laughs) we're glad you're back. Thank you. So I've got a... About a week left before Christmas break. And Mm -hmm. so I am once again using my tried and true of... uh, Mad Libs from Stacy Kraus and my green screens, but I've added one this week too uh, that I think is a great resource for everyone. It is Storyline Online, and mm-hmm. they are books read by actors, so they have lots of expression and everything. And so this week specifically, I've been using one that's read by um, Christian Slater, and it is called The Coal Thief. And so it's a great, like, winter-themed, but not necessarily holiday-themed uh, to, you know, kind of be um, diversity-accepting mm-hmm. and everything like that mm-hmm. and non-denominational. So it's a great winter-themed story that has lots of opportunities for uh, vocabulary development and predicting and um, summarizing. So I've been using that a lot for my students this week. And how how old would you say it's geared toward? What age? Um, I would say elementary school, but I've used it like for not just early elementary school. I've used it for my late elementary school kids too. Um, Mm -hmm. For my high school kids, I usually tend to pull something more like a nonfiction, something from Newzella. Um, And I don't have a good, I don't know if I have a good like holiday one for that, but that's usually my go-to for those older kids. New Zealand and doing some current stuff. Yep. Current, yep. current news things. Yeah. That's, that's always uh, trying to find those high interest and low read, lower reading levels right. for some students. Right. But New Zealand, you know, allows you to set that. So that's really great. And someone it was telling me about an, another site that allows you to set the reading level. And I need to do some research, to figure out which one that is. But it it did create some good uh, language opportunities. I had, I asked my student who the main characters were, and he just like looked at the screen and was trying to figure it out. And he's like, Christian Slater, because it said <laughs> his name at the top, like read by Christian Slater. He's like, Christian Slater is one of the main characters. And I was like, no, no, he's not. That's the guy reading the story. <laughs> and then he tried to tell me that his dad told him he wasn't allowed to watch anything with Christian Slater. And I was like... Well, that's a different story, but yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a whole other problem we won't yeah, talk about today. A, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was trying. I mean, he was trying. Yeah, yeah. A- I mean, he was using, it, right? Some context clues, some like, you know, visual helpers. He was trying, mm-hmm. but yeah, we, we needed some work, more work on that area. Yeah, yeah. Well, um... On the podcast today, I'm um, speaking of being back from Asha or being back. Um, <clears throat> we um, have on today a, a great uh, set of presenters that were at Asha. Uh, excuse me, and uh, they were uh, did some uh, a really great presentation. There was a whole panel of them 
we have three panelists who uh, from that presentation on the show today, and they're going to talk about you know the use of Alexa as a clinical tool of voice recognition and how and they're doing research to look at this. And so we have Yao Du, Deanna Hughes, and Claire O'Connor. And they are all three involved in different aspects of this research. And uh, it's exciting to see how technology like Alexa and some of the other voice recognition technologies, and even, you know, they mention, you know, artificial intelligence and some of the other things that are coming down the pike soon um, and how it's going to affect speech language pathology, but especially telepractice. So I'm excited to, to hear what they have to say. Well, Yao, Deanna, and Claire, welcome to the podcast. Would you mind introducing yourselves a bit more for our listeners? Yao, why don't you start? Sounds good. Thank thank you so much for the invitation. Um, My name is Yao Jiu, and I'm currently a clinical assistant professor in the speech-language pathology program at the University of Southern California, where we just... Um, starting to have a master's program in the speech language pathology at the Keck School of Medicine. Um, I also um, work as a bilingual Mandarin English speaking SLP, and I run a private consulting company called Chewy Logic, where I also provide um, technology consultations to different types of startup companies, mostly working in the tech space. Great. I'll pass the mic to my. Um, colleagues, um, Claire and Deanna. Okay, I can go ahead and go. So this is Deanna Hughes. And um, I recently transitioned as uh, I was at Chapman University and their communication and science disorders program until this year. And then I just um, really was excited to move back into clinical practice. So now I'm back with um, Vista Unified School District. And so that's here in Southern California and um, really taking all of the great research and, and tools that um, we've been working on and trying to apply it to kind of boots on the ground sorts of experiences and really supporting clinicians that are um, out there kind of doing it every day and just trying to get through and um, return to a normal, but it's like a new normal, right? And it's mm-hmm. maybe even a better normal because we had all those experiences with telepractice and everyone was really able to um, show their stuff and, and bring their expertise to the forefront. And so what you guys do is so valuable for um, clinicians that kind of, this wasn't their thing. And then all of a sudden it had to be their thing. So they were, um, they were excited to move into that space. So. Great. Alrighty. Um, so my name is Clara Connor. I'm a second year graduate student at Monmouth University in Long Branch, New Jersey. Um, I am in my second to last semester. Yeah, second to last. So got one more semester left. Um, I am part of Yao's um, Alexa for Adults team. So we are working to um, formulate uh, voice assistive technology training, teaching um, adults with complex cognitive uh, and communication disorders how to utilize Alexa in their activities of daily living via teletherapy. And like Deanna was saying, teletherapy has become more prominent, um, especially in the last few years. And because we have this opportunity to use teletherapy, we're able to connect with people on both the East and the West Coast. So it really is a wonderful opportunity. 
Great, great. So let's let's dive into sort of what you guys were talking about at uh, ASHA and uh, and and let the conversation go from there. So so Yao, why don't you give a, a like us an overview of what you're working on? And then we can and definitely talk about Alexa and how how you guys are 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 researching how it can be used clinically. Thanks so much. Um, I think maybe I'll give people a little bit of background, like how I personally got interested um, into the voice technology research. Um, it started when I was in my doctoral days um, at University of uh, California, Irvine. Um, I actually had my doctorate in this department called informatics, where we study human-computer interaction. And um, most of my research in the earlier years were focusing on mobile technology. And I was in the transition of wrapping up and trying to see what do I wanted to do for dissertation. And that's when um, I started looking into, okay, now we have these smart home speakers. And also, as I was setting up my first Alexa when it was on sale um, during the holiday season, I noticed there's, um, you can actually inactivate, um, like activate um, Alexa on the Alexa app as long as you have an Amazon account and that's when I started playing with it and then I was like I want to build something on this it's so cool mm-hmm. um, so it came from the dissertation where actually being in the interdiscipline department I got to mentor students in computer games um, computer science and some public health who are doing more than non coding and then um, some of my own students, informatics, doing the design and conversational um, interaction design. So um, it started off with just developing a game. Um, and it's currently still on Alexa store, uh, let me guess. Um, my game was my dissertation. Um, so I talked about how I actually developed the game, how I piloted um, the, the game itself on the phone actually by visiting um, my participants' homes and then collected data with some young children. And this was literally during the pandemic, um, 2019 and 2020. I was a lucky person who actually got the game um, piloted among almost 20 children before the whole lockdown happened in California as the first date. And then that kind of pushed us, okay, all my data analysis were online and we want to continue to make improvements. So telepractice seems to be a great transition just to initially keep the research going forward. Um, but then like my student Yusa, um, who ended up doing this um, presentation at ASHA along with me, uh, like her work directly actually testing the game with some of the improvement we learned from my phase of the dissertation, actually using it in the middle of the pandemic, actually through Zoom. And she got it configured on her iPad and then, made the game work um, and we collected data via Zoom. And and um, my colleague Deanna took it further and she utilized the Alexa physical smart speaker in teletherapy sessions and the rest is history. So that's what happened in the past two years. Um, I have to say we're a byproduct of transitioning through the pandemic for telepractice, but we really feel like, you know, we're working with different um, multifaceted, multimodal technology, and we just have to keep pushing with whatever we're doing and don't stop because of 
things get shut down easily um, in the past two years. That's a long answer to your question. <laughs> That's good. That's good. I like it. Uh, so, Deanna, why don't you pick up from there uh, where she said? Yeah, you, you I could. It. I could. Yeah, the, it's so exciting. And I, I just get all excited again thinking about um, the collaborations that are possible and what I see as us, as kind of the future for speech language pathology is that we're really moving out of our little silo of this is what I do. Um, and, um, and really when, um, yeah, is, is really that amazing hybrid who's actually a clinician. And then she got her PhD in something, um, related, but still different. And that idea of the informatics and the human computer interaction. And when we started, I started exploring in the field with her and working with other researchers, I realized that we, we kind of, um, you know, we have the same concepts, but every Everyone speaks a little bit. They just have a different turn for it. And then, um, like, if we talk about, um, I'm trying to think of an example. Yeah, like, oh, user um, user design, right? Or um, wherever they where they really want that input from. You know, that's really like participation therapy, right? Where you're having the clients be um, drive kind of the the goals and the therapy. And it's so you realize you're like, oh, we're talking about the same thing. It's just that we each had our own words for it. And so um, I think once you start kind of making those connections with the other disciplines, you realize how critical it is to have these um, have these collaborations because, you know, the research and the technology, if you're only in your own lane, so to speak, you know, you never get off the interstate. <laughs> so you're always sure. driving down there and you never stop and, and kind of arrive. And so I think it's just having that, um, you know, that perspective of it really makes um, for a clinician, as I'm a clinician first, I would say is that it it makes your therapy richer because it's informed by different perspectives. And so, um, I, and I think I don't even know where I went with that, but I was just I got all excited again about the um, about the collaborations and this idea of different students um, learning from the different disciplines. So it's the old original multidisciplinary framework. And then I don't know where I should go from that. If you want, we could talk more about the actual, I think maybe it might be nice to swing back and, and yeah, I'll talk about your preliminary work that you did looking at really evaluating the apps and the, and the games for Alexa, because that really had a nice foundation that supported our telepractice with Alexa. So I think that's a critical piece. So maybe you can expand on that. Yeah, just to give um, the audience who are listening right now a background um, at the recent New Orleans uh, ASHA 2022, we presented a session um, titled New Technology and Games for Futuristic Clinicians from Mobile Apps to Voice Assistants to Augmented Reality. Um, so we have a a big, big team of presenters. So um, we did disseminate how um, some of our early research on just mobile apps and um, different genres of applications like speech language apps, games, and um, AAC apps were being utilized by clinicians. And uh, also we look at the uh, publicly available data on the app store. How do we make sense? Um, the different um, type of comments was left by the users, which also included multiple stakeholders. 
And then we transition from those places and into thinking about voice because earlier days when we had Siri, that's really early back in like 2011, 2012. So thinking about that's like 10 years ago. And this voice technology has been with us for, for the past 10 years. Um, and mobile tech dates back even earlier. And, um, and how can we capitalize on these is what's interesting is we kind of like make, we made this presentation more like a technology historical review where a lot of us are not any foreign to mobile applications now. And how do we think about the same hardware technology where like you have the phone or you have the smart speaker now moving to more um, humanistic or conversational technology where you're not just interacting with the technology through like touch gesture anymore. You can talk to the technology. Um, and, and this is fascinating because um, if you think about all the big tech companies like Apple and Microsoft, Google, um, even Samsung, like all their deep digital um, uh, tablets or smartphones um, have these uh, conversational assistants now, or we sometimes have to call them voice assistants. So this is such a really interesting thing that we decide that in my dissertation, we'll look at the game. And some of the interesting findings, as I mentioned earlier, with children interacting with these um, these uh, voice assistants are like, they have similar issues with what you probably have seen on like TikTok videos where like a child is trying to call for a baby shark video and then call out something super like it's the, it's the hey doodle and, <laughs> instead of yes doodle. yes hey doodle yes <laughs> that's my my three-year-old exactly. was a lot of that <laughs> yeah and and they had speech sound recognition errors um because yeah. those technology were trained on large corpus data of adults speaking to them so children's voice have speech recognition issues as we've all probably have experienced there are also issues with like natural language processing. If you set too much, too complex, the um, the natural language understanding algorithm doesn't know where to parse the sentence or how to make sense of it. Unless you have all the default right answer built in, um, that's what happened in my game when we were making our game. It's like we went collect more data. Children were saying answers that were acceptable, but then like Alexa only have a certain finite number of like what she thinks is correct. So we yeah. did some. Oh, my Alexa's listening. I'm gonna pause her. She's like sneakily <laughs> listening to us. She wants to join the conversation. Yes, yeah. we're talking about her. <laughs> oh yeah. She she wakes up after she heard the wake word, like we were talking. Um <laughs> so so yeah, I have to do a little bit like back and like back-end engineering, which is not that complicated, but adding answers so Alexa won't judge the children to be wrong. And other interesting findings we learned are that um, when children have the communication breakdown when talking to Alexa, they do all their communication repair strategies, like how they normally talk in, in the human-to-human communication. So kind of like um, they will increase their voice and like scream at Alexa or they repeat and they will sometimes revise, like make revisions to their answers, modify their answers. So it's just like very natural for those two to three year olds. Um, as you saw in the like online popular videos, they are doing those communication repair strategies, which was fascinating. 
and there were other ones uh, like I, I don't know if you follow Alan show in one of our episodes she played a bunch of those clips and and some young children were ordering stuff online when their their toys were broken they go Alexa and then like just go Alexa to purchase and their parents were like <laughs> <Right>. what <laughs> So, so yeah, they were so my my preliminary result from my part of the dissertation is like I created a game that has different levels. So um it's simulated game where like children have to answer Alexa's question to rescue a bunch of animals with like single word response, with sentence level response. And then um some of these were design ideas came from like language assessment tests and then the proper vocabulary for children. So like WH questions, things like that. And and it was it was really fascinating to see how they actually repair the communication breakdown. I'm like, those are really meaningful interactions. And that's how we were like, oh, we can't just let it stop here. Let's let's keep actually working and continuing this body of work with more um participants but older older like students and children just to see okay if you expand the age range um from my old data set which was like four to six year olds in my dissertation so my second round which i did collect the whole thing along with my assistants via tele uh, uh sorry video zoom sessions this is the second group where we did expand them to like some of the 10 years old and even older students who are using AAC is like, why not? Let's just try to play with them and see how they respond to voice assistance. Yeah. Like, it. I think that the things that we get, I, f- I keep on thinking of two things that come up with like why we should be doing this kind of work and why we should be helping kids interact with a voice assistant and the one is like access just that if we want our kids to be able to access the same things that um, students and children and adults without disabilities can access that is a thing that not only does it give them more access if they have physical disabilities to do things like turn on lights turn off lights do all of those things that can be automated but also just that that access that everyone else is able to use this technology to ask questions so they should be able to take it to be able to do that too and then the other thing is motivating motivation i you know we've we've seen those videos of the three-year-olds talking to alexa and they keep trying because it's motivating to do it and uh so i think those are the two things that i keep thinking of when you talk about this technology and i love um kim how you were talking about the access and this idea of kind of equity and uh, we need to have the voices of of um, individuals with communication disorders be part of that corpus that goes into the work um, because that makes the artificial intelligence and the AI better, right? The more inputs you have and the more variety of inputs you have into the system, it improves the technology for everyone. So I think right. that that's a really important piece that not only is it fair, that these individuals should have equal access, but it actually, their contribution is worthy, right? And it makes it better for absolutely everybody, you know, in in regards to making the technology better. So Mm -hmm. I think that's Mm -hmm. an excellent point. And the motivation, I can certainly speak to that when we did our study with um, the kid, even we had a small, our smallest one, I think was three. um, And uh, she just was so excited to do anything with, 
um, with the Alexa and just even someone with our tick errors where you're like, oh my gosh, we got to do our boom cards again, or we're going to, you know, we have to do all these and it's kind of like drill, but suddenly if you can ask, you know, Alexa for a song with your target sounds, it was just super motivating. It's not like, so I feel like just that motivation allows you to be more effective therapeutically. So you can increase your number of trials. Um, it, you know, they, they don't mind, you know, cause you know how sometimes when you're just doing your standard Arctic and it's like, you know, and they just, yeah. you know, they, their voice drops. Cause they're like, I know it's not right, you know? And so, you know, but it seems like somehow like um, the voice assistance and the technology is like a neutral judge, right? Mm-hmm. Alexa doesn't really, I don't know. She's not going to judge you if you don't say your case, right? <laughs> so I think that that's also um, an excellent point with the motivation for the therapy as well. Yeah. And I was also uh, thinking about how we talked about the interdisciplinary and how that's important. I recently on a, I think it was like the SLP Uncensored, which if you want to, you know, their their logo is literally a dumpster fire. So if you want like the dumpster fire of the internet, you can go look in that Facebook group. It's pretty fun though <laughs> sometimes. But someone was saying that they had an OT who had come into a house and like completely set up um, a system for Alexa to control all of these devices, but it was an adult with dysarthria and they weren't able to access it with their voice. And so it was like this great system that someone who was an OT had set up, but hadn't collaborated with the speech language pathologist to figure out how the person was going to use their voice to access it. So I think that's, that's the danger of staying in our silos. I agree. Wholeheartedly. So Claire, we, we know you're the, you're the silent type. I can tell. Um, why don't you jump in and, and share your perspectives on all this? Yeah, no. Um, so, um, like I said, um, I were in the midst of creating a voice assistive technology training for um, not children, but for adults. And we're going to teach them certain skills Alexa has to offer um, via Zoom. So um, we haven't started it yet. We're hoping to start by uh, the beginning of January. Um, we already have four participants right now uh, confirmed. So we're very excited to start it and see where it takes us. But um, it's definitely going to be a challenge, you know, adjusting to the teletherapy model of like teaching them how to use the device without like physically being there. So, um, you know, there will be some bumps in the road here and there, but um, I think um, from observing Yao's other project with um, the Alexa for Kids, it you know kind of gave me some insight on how I could um, modify my clinical practice to teach the adults, you know, these uh, certain skills and these commands that um, can be used on Alexa. So definitely a lot of a lot of adjustments, but you know, this is a learning process for all of us, so it's very exciting. And Claire, I'd really be interested in your perspective as a graduate student, because I think that is is so important, you know, that you're the one going through it. And um, when I got my seat, like in the last century, they didn't have, you know, we just have had the iOS for about 10, 15 years, right, where these things have been available. So, you know, we had the old clumsy AAC devices that were, you know, as big as like a boom box and the kids would <laughs> run it around. And so, um, so I think I have that historical perspective, but, um, you know, it's really changing. And I find the graduate students are 
are much better at the technology than I am. And, you know, you're that technology native, but just maybe your experience in like your clinical training and maybe what you'd like to see more of from uh, a student perspective. I think that would be really great. Yeah, yeah, no, Um, I did have some experience last year. Um, I know we had um, another COVID spike around March. So a lot of people were getting it. And we actually um, had to close down our clinic and do all of our sessions via teletherapy. So that was a fun process. I at that point, I never really had experience with teletherapy. But once I was able to do it with my clients, um, then I realized, okay, like, just share my screen. That's one step. Once they could see the content that, you know, then it's easier for me to explain it and say like, okay, um, this is what we're working on today. This is what we're going to accomplish during today's session. And um, then it kind of got me used to Zoom. Like it, um, you know, um, opened up some opportunity to kind of see like what tools they have to offer. So like, you know, you could doodle, you could use your arrow to point to certain objects on the screen. And um, it was definitely a learning process. I'm sorry. It was definitely a learning process for me, um, trying to get used to, you know, that kind of perspective. But um, once I was able to get the hang of it, then, you know, um, that's what kind of, uh, what's it called, um, introduced me to uh, Yao's new project on how to incorporate it into an Alexa for adults training. So I would love to see where this uh, stems within the next few months. Yeah, Claire, do you have any response of what you would say to that person that asked online, what am I supposed to do with this this adult with this great system set up that the OT did and no one thought about how they're going to access it? Yeah, well, we were actually, um, a few months ago, we had a colleague uh, reach out to um, Yao about, um, uh, you know, possibly uh, modifying this kind of training for um, participants who may, you know, have a stutter, who may have dysarthria, who may have other voice disorders that Alexa may not be able to pick up. So, um, you know, having the clinicians like, you know, working with them and being being right there, like they still have the opportunity to um work with them because, you know, you have the audio, you have the mic, as long as you're um, communicating with them and teaching them, okay, like this is, you know, model after me, this is like what you have to do to um, say these commands. You are still communicating with them. You are still teaching them how to say the commands. The only difference is you're not physically present. And, you know, it can be a hindrance for most people, but, you know, in the long run, as long as they could hear you, as long as you could communicate to them what they have to do, that's all that matters. I would also throw in on the, um, just back to that collaboration piece, it made me realize that um, that the special interest groups um, are so valuable resources for clinicians. So um, in the telepractice and also um, in 12 for AAC, um, which I've worked with a little bit more extensively, but there's just great conversations going on right now about um, uh, voice banking and individuals with ALS. And so um, I think it, it just for the clinicians that are out there that are like, you know, where do I get that information? I think um, joining, you know, those special interest groups is so valuable. Um, you know, I know it's like, oh, I don't want to give them more money, but I really find that as an excellent resource for just seeing what's going on. And everybody is, is an equal contributor, you know, it's not just kind yeah. of, you know, the Ivy, Ivory Tower academics, you know, people always come up with great solutions for those. So that's something I, I think I could encourage as well, just as another resource for individuals. Yeah. Probably a little bit more reliable than 
the dumpster fire Facebook group. <laughs> but not as fun. <laughs> not as fun. <laughs> yeah. That brought um, up another. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to ask, probably because my husband's a technology teacher, is there a reason that you guys pick Alexa specifically? I know there's Siri and Google. Is there um, any reason? And if people are thinking about a system, why they would pick that over the others? Yeah, I was actually just about to make the disclaimer. You hear us mention Alexa a lot because we have a team where we decide to use Alexa for research. But um, voice assistants should be technology agnostic. As I mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. many different companies have their own product. Um, so this is where I have my personal take. And hopefully um, it doesn't offend all the big companies. But my personal take was like Siri really had the space when they were the first one. They were the first one. But then um, it's on the phone. And like think about Apple. They did such a good job. Um, actually having a market space for the app store and then for like the iTunes. But they did not do what um, Amazon did, which is having that marketplace that opens up third-party developers to create like all kinds of things. Like you see people creating um, like would you rather game or like um, like um, Akinator, um, all kinds of weird Alexa skills so these are kind of like similar to you think about um, apps on the app store. These are individual standalone like voice-based activities, including mm -hmm. games or some other um, specific skills um, you can use for other purposes. Um, I, I feel like if, if Siri could have utilized that marketplace where it opens up um, the technology for more independent developer to create things that could benefit an individual utility. It could be a different ball game. And also mm -hmm. I feel like um, when all the other companies are moving into the space in the past 10 years, I don't know if you say this tech news and reports, um, a lot of them, including Amazon's Alexa, they were saying, okay, we're not, um, like increasing the team who are working on Alexa, they were actually having people being laid off as this round of 2022 tech laid off mm -hmm. uh, wave. Um, and one of the biggest concern is they have the hardware, they have the devices, but they were not actually doing um, what they were anticipating and really making the technology pervasive enough that it really, really changes people's activity of daily living. Like we're still mm -hmm. using our phone call to make those shopping and those booking and ordering pizza. We did not really actually use the technology they thought would work. So it really comes down to that human and computer interaction experience. And that's where I think we have early adopters of the technology space and um, who didn't open up the space. But then we also have these newer, um, sophisticated ideas. And that was actually well executed, but then somehow to make it like humanistic and to make it personable is a lot more difficult than uh, the technologists anticipated in the first place. Very good point. It's 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 very interesting. We we get kind of tied to one or the other for different reasons, and and the frustration level I have with Siri is is really high usually. <laughs> I you know I I love Apple products and I have computers and everything else but and phone but it just it just isn't as reliable as I'd like to 
Yeah. See yeah. We have both. Um, I haven't done a, my parents have an Alexa, but we have a Google home with the mm-hmm. screen and Apple doesn't have the equivalent of it. So we still have that, even though all of our other products are Apple and we have the home minis and things like that. But the one thing that I've noticed is a big difference and is that if I ask Google a question, it will answer me. If I ask Siri a question, she mm-hmm. says, those results are on your phone. <laughs> right. So that's what, and like, you know, she'll send me a link or something like that. But I'm like, no, I just wanted the answer. I don't want to look it up on my phone. I could have done that by myself. <laughs> So that's one of the big differences that I see. And yeah, just not that, that level of integration. I know, um, I have a niece that she is very into technology. She worked for UPS for a long while and her husband's a programmer and I go into their house and they actually have covered every single light switch in their house because they only use their voice. They only use Alexa to turn on and off the lights in their house. Um, And he's like, oh, it kept messing it up when people would flip the light switch. So I just covered them all. So, and they are even using, I was at their house and they just had a baby and he's like, Alexa, remind me that I fed the baby at this time. And so just the level of like integration and everything that it can do is, is amazing. I I would like to bring up uh, one thing we haven't really talked about, but something that the companies are doing well is the idea of um, multilingual, um, having these available in different languages. And so, um, especially if you're in clinical practice and you you know, we're in California where I think like in San Diego Unified uh, School District, they speak 92 different languages spoken in the school district. And so, you know, just having the access um, for when someone comes in and they speak, um, you know, Portuguese or some other language that, um, you know, you're not as maybe familiar with. And so just um, those different kind of language options are really um, so helpful in improving like accessibility for therapy that's, um, you know, culturally and linguistically diverse and demonstrating that cultural competence. I think that's a, an important, and they add new languages all the time. So sometimes I think, oh, you don't think about that until you have one of those evaluations. And then, but um, that is a great space. And they're all, all the companies have been expanding their language repertoire with those. Yeah, I want to comment. Um, we had a um, lot of AAC systems are now integrating the uh, calling a voice assistant um, within the current interface. And uh, some of these really cool idea um, Deanna and I have been trying were like, what if we actually program the answers to our Alexa game um, using the icons um, a touch chat? So we actually piloted um, with some AAC users. And what we found was, again, this goes back to having to do this uh, pilot testing remotely via Zoom, is we can have users, AAC users, who are nonverbal, but then they can use their icons on their AAC device and answer our questions. Like, what animal is this? They'll do dog and they'll do cat. To actually use their speech generating device to talk to like voice assistants. So like technology talking to technology. It was pretty interesting. We noticed the um, Alexa's recognition of non-human speech was obviously not as sharp. I was going to ask that if that's been a barrier (laughs) for for AAC users. Yeah. And it it also comes down to... um, the speech generating voice, like, are you using male or female? Are you using adult or child voice? And how's the volume set up? Again, this was all done via tally. So like, imagine how 
how complicated this gets. So、mm-hmm. our team had another research question slash pilot design. Is if we have the resource, we'll do a、um, comparison of like speech generating devices where adults were saying back to Alexa from their AC device versus children, and then male versus female. That could probably lead to very different. Uh, answers and responses, even changing up the rate of speech on those AC devices, that makes a difference too. Yeah, yeah. I was going to throw that in because I did get to do some trials in person,、um, kind of like when we'd open up for a little bit and then go back. And、um, one of the big challenges with the、um, AC for the users of AC is that. Um, it's the pacing, right? And so it takes you time to go find the answers, you know. So, like, especially if you have,、um, you know, you're talking about like fringe vocabulary that's not in the core, which is most of the type of question responses, you know. So you have to go categories, pets, you know, cat, and so even very.、Um, You know, proficient AAC users. That's still a, l- a lot more time.、Um, you know, it takes a lot more time than just if you have verbal access to those answers. And so, so it was. You know, I think that's one of the big challenges. And I love that Yalit、um, is so committed into. It's not just about the voice. It's all these these other things that you need to consider.、Um, you know, in regards to making it truly accessible, even for. You know, individuals who use the speech generating devices. Very good. Well, I do have a, another question, <clears throat> and we can start to wrap up. I don't. I want to be cognizant of your time.、Um, so, let's uh, let's do uh, a little、uh, future guessing here, or or visioning of what the field is going to look like in five to ten years. So this is. This is the world that Claire is going to inherit as she starts her career. How is technology going to shape what we do? What would you predict if you had to go to Vegas? Because Kim loves going to Vegas, so she can take you there. Going next、uh, week. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to put some money on where it's going to be, how would you make that bet? I, I would say I'm a little worried. I mean, there's so much potential, but、um, I think what's a little concerning for me now in in the current climate is、um, just the sheer volume of、um, what the possibilities are. Right.、Mm-hmm. So if you remember way back in like、um, it was a Toffler that had the future shock, right?、Mm-hmm. That the technology is going to change faster than our ability to understand it. Right. And I think you know, in some ways, I feel a little, and maybe it's because I didn't, you know, I'm not a native, right, with the technology,、um, but I have that perspective that I almost have that feeling that I can't keep up, right? And so, like, if you're, you, it, it just doesn't feel like there's, I can't wrap my whole brain around it, and it could just be my older brain. But I think you know that is what's concerning to me is that you know instead of having this nice kind of collaborative, multidisciplinary.、Um, That we'll get locked into, you know, Alexa versus Siri, or we'll we'll get locked into game developing versus looking at speech and language therapy tools. And so,、um, so I think that's a little concerning to me. I feel like I almost want to rope it in a little bit. But、right. again, that could just be my personal bias. Yeah, and I see what you're saying, Deanna. We saw that even with.、Um, 
just the laws and things like that catching up with telepractice, that there were so many things where it's like, oh, well, you have to have this percentage of in-person or you can't do it this way or you can't do it that way. And it was like, well, we're already doing it. So catch up <laughs> to what mm-hmm. we're able to do. So I, I can see that not not just with like our own brains, but with regulations and things like that. So, yeah, what do you think? Claire, what do you get? What do you think in terms of uh, you're you're a very fresh perspective coming out of grad school? Yeah, no, um, I most of uh, the clients I work with, um, they're actually all AAC users. So um, definitely a lot of high tech stuff. Um, the way I see it in five years, um, I, I definitely do think uh, technology will um it serve a lot more than it does now. I do think it will start to permeate more populations. Um, and, you know, Deanna made a good point. Like, you know, it is hard to keep up because it's like, you know, it's literally like taking off so quickly and like, you know, so many things are just like happening all at once. So it can be a little overwhelming, but at the same time, um, I feel like things are getting done more quicker, more efficiently. And, um, you know, I, I, I am a big fan of, uh, you know, how technology can be utilized to connect other clinicians as well. Um, honestly, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be working with Yao if it weren't for having Zoom, having this teletherapy model right here, because, you know, I mean, this is all we got. So it definitely helps me connect with other clinicians around the country. And it also helps me reach other clients who, you know, may not be able to come to therapy or, you know, who may be in another state that I can no longer see anymore. I mean, you know, it's just crazy how, you know, this whole teletherapy model is booming everywhere. And, you know, I, I do think it's going to go far pretty quickly and I would love to be a part of that. Awesome. Great. You're going to be one of our leaders, I think. (laughs) I doubt it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Any, any predictions from you? Well, I think um, it's hard to say because um, I don't know. um, I actually just sent Claire a link to watch or sorry, to listen in um, in the uh, open discussion forum about what's called chat GPT. It's automated chat system, like to put it in in simple terms. Um, The future is going to be scary. A lot of things will be automated and Mm -hmm. uh, artificial intelligence is going to be super pervasive. But then how much of that is really going to benefit the pl- uh, the client population we're serving is something I'm constantly thinking about is there's just this big, huge gap between what's out there and what actually gets translated to what we need as clinicians. Um, mm-hmm. So I think, I think the future um, I anticipate it's not like, Oh, we wish, we hope, the wishful thinking that we collaborate more, like they have to collaborate with um, domain experts. Because if you think about all these fancy algorithms going into the machine learning, they don't know what features to mm-hmm. to actually write to create these algorithms. They rely on the domain experts like us. So one thing I was sharing at my Asha presentation was um, almost every single one of my talk, it ended with... Um, this participatory research and design approach is, hey, we need to go out there and tell the technologists we are the experts in communication. We know speech and Mm -hmm. language and social conversation, narrative storytelling. But those engineers and developers, um, 
probably don't uh, probably um, didn't realize that they can pick on our brain when it comes to the communication piece, the the speech language science. So so um, really um, reach out to them. And Claire actually saw me shamelessly networking with a representative at the Amazon booth. I just go in and I tell them about my research. I give them my mm-hmm. 30 second elevator pitch. Um, like we need to allocate for our research, our practice, our profession, and especially the value we can bring to these technologists. And they they really need our input. And I think it's fun working with them because they always got the cool, fancy technology you want to try. <laughs> and I have so much fun with those. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, it's been great catching up with you guys, and and I certainly enjoyed your presentation at ASHA, and I enjoyed this conversation, and uh, and best of luck uh, to each of you, and uh, look forward to seeing what you guys are able to do with Alexa as well as some of these other areas. So uh, good luck with everything you're doing. Thank you so much. I enjoyed being on. Thank you. Thank you. I want to thank Yao, Deanna, and Claire for joining us on the podcast. And I'm excited to see where they go with all this. Uh, we all have, you know, these Google Homes and Alexa and and those kinds of devices that we're really relying on to, in a sense, run our homes. And I'm I'm very, very excited for the research because now It'll give us another tool that we can use to help the patients that we're working with. And combining that with telepractice is very, very exciting. So and I just can't wait to see what they come up with in terms of how we can use this technology. It is definitely on the cutting edge. And with that, I want to thank you for joining us for this episode. Please Leave us a five-star review if you don't mind. That helps us to attract some new subscribers and new listeners. And that's always what we're trying to do. And until next week, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.